Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Are we good? Uh, I have a special request to say happy birthday to Dave Jennon, uh, the father of one of the people in our small group. So uh, happy birthday, Dave. Uh, right over there. <laughs> uh, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Kel Castro. I'm the student pastor here at Austin Oaks Church, and I have the honor and the privilege of being able to share a word with y'all this morning. Uh, if you've been with us over the summer, we've been going through a series called The Way of Love, where we've been examining this concept of love and how it applies to our daily lives. And today we're going to be closing out that series. Uh, and we've been spending a lot of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's Paul's famous love chapter. Uh, and so if you want to go ahead and turn in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians 13, and while you're turning there, I want to go ahead and invite Autumn to come on up on stage. So uh, yeah, y'all can give it up for Autumn. So Autumn is one of our graduating seniors, and today we're going to be talking about love and maturity, how when we experience God's love, we grow in our own maturity and things like that. And I thought it would be really sweet to, one, have one of our graduating seniors, a girl who is not just moving on to the next stage of her life, but also someone who has taken her faith really seriously and, you know, given it a lot of priority to be able to read our opening scripture today. So Autumn, if you will, please uh, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks, Autumn. Give her a hand, guys. That was awesome. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day where we get to come before you in worship and both praise and in teaching. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be moving in this room, that you would be speaking through me, that my words would not be my own, that my power would not be my own, Lord, but that you would be moving and directing uh, this talk and that you would be moving in the hearts to reveal the depth of your love for us. God, you're good and wonderful and we pray these things in your name, amen. All right, so maturity has always been a really interesting topic to me, and it's something that I feel, like I, I don't know if y'all are like me, I feel like I'm always trying to present myself as more mature than I actually am, sometimes more successfully than others. Uh, so I'm a younger brother. My brother is two and a half years older than me, and so that means like in age-wise, like we were always close enough to hang out with each other's friends, but also, you know, far enough apart to where we had our own groups, but my brother was really gracious to allow me to hang out with him and his friends a lot. And so I felt the responsibility, the, the pressure, the, the need, uh, you know, the craving to try to be more mature so that I could hang out with him and his friends. It would be casual. It would be cool. That no one would suspect that I was actually a size younger brother when, in fact, everyone was very aware that I was size younger brother, right? But when your dad's teaching you how to drive a stick shift and you're sitting at a green light on William Cannon, and you freak out because it's a green light on William Cannon, there's a lot of cars behind you and your car stalls out and all these cars are like, you know, packing behind you and you're trying to get going, but like, that's not how a stick shift works and your brother's friend pulls up beside you, recognizes it's you, rolls the window down, points at you and laughs at you. It's really hard to maintain an air of maturity, right? I'm also a student pastor and if you were not aware, there is a stereotype, a vicious stereotype, that student pastors are immature, right? That it's all style, no substance, all fun, no seriousness. And so me, being the serious guy that I am, fight against this stereotype with every fiber in my being. I try to display my maturity in the ways of wisdom and counsel, theology, other serious things, right? So because I want to be mature, I don't want to just be you know, a normal student pastor. But here's the deal, when I am presented with the opportunity of a glow-in-the-dark dodgeball or a sponge filled with paint and there's a student in front of me, I will display the same amount of maturity as any other student pastor in my position. It's an opportunity, right? 
every church that I've worked at, I have been either the youngest or one of the youngest people on staff, including here twice. And so I, you know, I try to do everything in my power to make sure that people know that like they think that I'm older and wiser and more mature than I actually am, right? And so I do this in a few different ways. So when I was first here as a 19-year-old intern, I was like, man, what are things that make you appear older, right? Facial hair. That's why I have this mustache, because I don't want people to know that I have a baby face when I shave, right? And so this was, what you see before you is round two, right? This was (laughs) the first attempt at a growing a mustache. And I honestly, I'm so sorry that I showed you this picture because now this is in your memories just as it lives in my, Reese, go ahead and flip to the next one. Let's pretend this is the picture that I showed you, right? This is much better. It's easier on everyone's eyes. Let's just pretend that that's the picture that I showed you. Uh, so right now how I do this, right, it, it, when I'm trying to, you know, make myself older and wiser and that I understand the references of the more mature, right? So when, like, BJ makes his references to the TV shows and the movies and the SNL sketches of the 80s and 90s, I just, I laugh and I nod and I say, yes, we understand these references for sure. We all are a part of the joke. And then I Google what that joke was, Right? <laughs> I honestly think that my ploy in presenting myself as like older and wiser than I actually am is the reason why Pastor Brandon asked me to teach on maturity today as opposed to one of our more mature pastors, right? Uh, guys, it's working. We're do- we got it. <laughs> We're making it happen, right? Uh, but as I was preparing this message, I was kind of struck by this idea of maturity as a whole, like what do we mean when we say that like that person is mature, I am mature, we are mature, because I think it's kind of confusing. Does it mean that we're just getting older? Does it mean that we are collecting the right experiences or becoming more capable as we you know, grow? Does it mean that we finally made it? And like for me, my whole life, I've constantly been looking at like the next thing, as in once I reach the next thing, then I'll finally be mature. I will have made it, I'll have done it, I will, I, I'm good. And so for me, it was like when I graduate, I will have made it. And then it was college, and then it was working full time, and then it was getting married, and then having a house, and then having a kid. And here's the deal, I've done all of those things now, and I still don't feel like I've made it. I don't feel like I'm there yet, that I'm mature, right? And, I, and, and it's a thing where it's interesting that as I've gotten older, I feel like I've just kind of gotten better at like hiding my weaknesses and hiding my sin and my immaturity and presenting myself at more mature, right? And and it's not actually that I am. I'm just better at like discounting those things. And I still feel like I have so much more to go that I'm, that I have so much more growth. So what is maturity? And, And this is a question that I even ask those who I consider to be much wiser and much more mature than myself. And it's a, it's an answer that I think we can all Share, it's a shared experience that we never feel like we've actually made it. That there's still growth, there's still something that we're growing in, there's still maturity that we're lacking. And so, what is it, right? We're always seeking growth and maturity and development and change, but what does that mean? When we return to our passage, the last half of the chapter almost feels like out of place with the first half because the first half of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is writing in really beautiful language about love, almost using, using like poetic structure. He's like, love never fails. Love always forgives. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And it's really poetic and stylish. And then we get to verses 8 through 13, and it almost feels like a tone shift from Paul, where he starts talking about things ending and passing away. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies... They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away. And this feels somewhat out of place. But when we look at the previous chapter, we see Paul writing to the Corinthians, telling them about the use of spiritual gifts as a way to build the body of Christ. Gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues and gaining and distributing knowledge. And then Paul writes, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, starting to get somewhere, Paul. I like it. Your train of thought's good. It's working. He's not just talking about things ending, but he's talking about the temporary things 
passing away to make room for the perfect and the eternal, right? It's almost like a process of growing, almost like a process of maturity, if you will. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Paul is telling the Corinthians that while things like prophecy and speaking in tongues and gaining and distributing knowledge are good and they're beneficial, not just for ourselves, but for the body as a, as a whole right now, that, that these things, these spiritual gifts are actually a sign that you have the Holy Spirit inside you and that you are growing in maturity. Those things are good right now. Eventually, those things are going to pass away because you, do you know what you don't need when you're standing in the presence of God? Prophecy. Do you know what you don't need when you have all knowledge at your fingertips because you are standing before the eternal Lord, speaking in tongues and gaining knowledge, right? Like those things will pass away, but love will never end. And love will always lead us into further growth and maturity until eventually we experience it in its fullness and perfection as we stand in the presence of the Lord. Just as Paul has always been fully known, just as we have always been fully known and fully loved by God, one day we will eventually fully know God and fully know his love. And one day we will be perfected in that. We will find our maturity. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. What we are seeing in this passage is that maturity is not just collecting the right experiences or getting older or even becoming more capable in our walks. It, maturity is us progressively looking more and more like Christ by experiencing more and more of Christ and more and more of his love. That uh, we are, it, you know, our maturity is dependent on how much we are abiding in God's love. We will mature as we abide in God's love. And this concept of abiding, this word really, right? Uh, this word abiding is really interesting because we really only hear it in the context of church and the Big Lebowski because the dude abides, right? But in essence, to abide means to remain, to stay connected to. And when we go back to this whole idea of maturity, this seems a little strange because maturity would seem to imply action and movement and development, whereas abiding, remaining, seems to imply being stationary. But I don't think it's that simple. We're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 15 today, uh, but right now I just want us to look at verse 9, and it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Guys, if we are real for a second, we could spend days on the theological implications of this verse alone, that God the Father has loved Jesus, and as God the Father has loved Jesus, God the Son, so has he loved us, that the perfect and infinite love shared between God the Father and God the Son, two members of the Trinity who existed before time and will exist for all time past into eternity future, that their infinite and wonderful love that spans space, time, and reality has now been shared with us through Jesus' incarnation. Remember, all-powerful God becoming human flesh and then lives, dies, and raises from the grave to display the love of the Father to us. That's the love with which he has loved us and is now telling us to abide in, right? He has a lot more to say in this passage, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but right now he simply says to abide in his love. The same love with which he shared with the Father and then proceeded to share with us, that's what we are supposed to abide in, to remain in. And again, this idea of abiding and remaining, we get this picture of inactivity or complacency that we're just remaining. We think of like a rock sitting on a, like a, on a, on a you know, street. It's just, it's abiding, it's remaining, right? But instead, it's crucial for us to understand that abiding is a willful decision on our part to stay connected to that which is true and good and life-giving. In the verses preceding verse 9 in John 15, 
Jesus is explaining this principle of abiding to the disciples by using the analogy of a branch and a vine. And in case you're not, you know, into farming or, you know, horticulture, whatever, plant stuff, right? Uh, That like, if that's, you know, too much for you, right? Then like, think of like a fruit tree or like a plant of some sort, right? But he's using this idea that like a branch on its own can do nothing, it's just a stick. There's, it doesn't produce life. It isn't life-giving. It's just, it's just there, right? It can't do anything on its own, but a vine, a plant, this tree, whatever, is filled with life. It is alive. It has a life flowing through its planty veins, right? And it produces life. And when a branch is connected to the vine, it allows for the branch to produce fruit, to become mature, and the only way for a branch to bear fruit, to mature, to grow maturity, is for it to be abiding in the vine. And the only way for us to bear fruit, to become mature and grow maturity, is for us to abide in Christ and his love for us. We will mature as we abide in God's love. If you don't mind, I want to, I want to get a little contemplative for a moment, uh, to get a little personal. So... As I was doing my sermon, rep, sermon prep and to give a kind of a peek behind the curtain, this is a moment where I was like, man, I, I want to tell like a really awesome story. It's going to be powerful. And I'm thinking through my life of like, when are the moments that God has like showed his love for me? And it was great. And I'm starting to write and I go for like several hours. And at the end of it, I'm like, man, this is just not correct. This isn't, this isn't where God is leading. And it was frustrating for me because I want, to be, you know, I want to do this. I want to mature and display how good of a preacher I am and how vast my knowledge is. I want to do these things. I want you to, to leave this story going, wow, it was both funny but also emotional and it revealed spiritual truth to me. And I'd go, yes, the Lord provides, right? <laughs> but it was frustrating because I walked away going, this isn't right. This isn't, and it's because I was not even paying attention to the things that I'm saying in this sermon. I was not abiding in God's love. And when I finished writing this whole story, it was just for me. It was a reminder of these moments in my life when God had displayed his love for me in power and that I was to abide in that. I want to parade my strength when in reality, God is loving me in my weakness and in my immaturity and he is displaying himself. And so what I want to do right now is I want to ask you, to think about the moments in your life when you have truly experienced God's love for you. And this may feel personal. This may feel like we're getting real deep. But I want you to simply take time while I'm talking to put yourself in a position to abide in God's love for you, to remember the things in your life that God has done to show his love for you, to consider the the, the moments in your life where you have called out to God and received his love, that he has, you know, has just moved in powerful ways to remember how, you know, just the links and consider how, how, amazing it is that God has pursued after us and the the lengths that he would go to just declare his love for you saying I love you so much that I would do this and here's where I want you to get real personal if in considering this if in sitting back and, and wondering to yourself and looking at your life and going like I don't know if I have ever felt God's love I want you to be honest about that It does neither of us nor anyone else any good if when you are considering your relationship with God, your experiences with him, if you truly feel like you've never actually experienced the love of God, it doesn't do anyone any good for you to just pretend to just go through the motions and take a seat at church and go, yeah, Jesus, great. When if you don't feel that, if you don't actually know that God loves you, But what I want you to know here, that if you take anything away from my message, if you hear any passion and plea in my voice and the things I'm going to say, please know how desperately, how powerfully, how beautifully God loves 
you and not just like the general you because I think sometimes we can get into this habit to go like, yeah, well, God loves us, but does God love me specifically? But I want you to know that God specifically loves you in power and in beauty and in pureness. When I consider my own life and the moments where God has moved in power and moved in love, they are often the moments where I feel most helpless and out of control, right? I'm a person, I don't know if you're like me, I'm a person who really likes to be in control. I like to be able to dictate my own circumstances. I want to be able to depend on my own strength, my own wisdom, my own maturity to get me where I need to go, to get me out of whatever situations I find myself in. I don't like to be dependent on anything and anyone. And I say this not hyperbolically, not with exaggeration or just to be like, you know, oh, he's saying something like crazy from stage. If I could do life without God, I would because I don't like being dependent. I don't like having to say I am weak. I don't like having to say that like I'm, I am at the whim of someone else. I would rather be able to say if I, if I want this thing, I want to go do it. If I am feeling this, I want to do this. If I have this knowledge and this wisdom and this insight, that's how we're going to go. But what I realize in a common theme throughout my life is that when I am alone and on my own and trying to figure things out and do things on my own is when I am feeling the most broken, is when I enter my greatest despair, is when I feel the most defeated and the most hurt. But when I allow myself to abide in the love of God, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and move me, that's when I experience the love of God in beautiful and wonderful and powerful ways and he moves me into further maturity. When I consider my mom's breast cancer treatments and and dealing with those things, I remember how helpless and out of control I felt Because what could I do? I could do nothing in those moments. But I also remember how much God showed his love to my family and to myself in those seasons and how he revealed himself to me in salvation in that time, that he gave life to me in that moment. When I consider my parents' divorce, I think about how shaky things felt for me and how I felt like things were falling apart But in reality, I also remember how beautifully and specifically and personally God showed me love, that he revealed himself to me in a way to say, Kel, I have chosen you as a son and brought you into my family, that I experienced that love. In the moments of my life, when I have experienced deep depression, and this is a thing that's it, you know, it, it comes and goes in my life, and it's really easy for me, especially as I've grown more mature, to put on a, you know, a smiley, happy face to be the guy that tells jokes. But in the moments where I am in deep depression, I know how hopeless and defeated I can feel, but I also know how vast and how wonderful the love of God is because I know how he has pursued after me to find me, to retrieve me, and to pull me back to him when I was lost, and not just lost, but when I did not want to be around him, that he still came after me and still showed me love. And the one that feels so fresh right now to me, a little under a year and a half ago when my son was being born, um, there was very real fear for me and very real danger that I may lose both my son and my wife. It's a really hard traumatic experience and when I consider how scary that was for me to potentially lose the people that I loved the most and there was nothing I could do about it again I'm not a doctor I was just sitting in my stupid scrubs hoping and praying that someone would do something that these strangers that I did not know could help and provide, that I felt this love for my family that I could do nothing about. But I also know that as much as I love my wife and as much as I love my son, that God loves my wife, God loves my son, and God loves myself way more than I ever could, way more than anyone ever could. He's the one 
that knit them together in the womb. He's the one that before time had their names in his mind. He's the one who has moved mountains to give life to them. And he's the one that is going to provide good no matter what that looks like. And he loves way more than I ever could. But even if those things in my life had never happened, even if I had never had these experiences, these moments, these ordeals, anything else that I may have happened in my life, I would have to consider the fact that on my own, I am prone to despair, to devastation, to hopelessness, to purposelessness, to weakness, that I just can't do all the things that I want to do, that I am incomplete and defeated, but that Jesus still loves me, that Jesus still loves us, that, that Jesus came down to earth to be born into weakness when he knew nothing but the infinite vastness of power and wonder and love that he chose to be born as a child, a baby that needs to be taken care of, that he lived a life where he would have to experience the regular you know, trials of humanity like hunger and exhaustion, that he would, not just that, but the, the hurts and the pains and the struggles of humanity, that he would feel everything that we could ever feel and know every hurt that we could ever feel so that we could have a savior who empathizes with us, who knows what it's like to hurt. And not just that, that he was betrayed and, and, and abandoned by his closest friends, tortured by people that he loved, put to death on a cross by the people who he came to save and raising from the death to conquer the grave and to promise eternal life to those who need him because he loves us, because he loves you. There is no distance that God would not cover, no obstacle he would not overcome to display the vastness of his love for you. John 3.16 is a verse that if you've grown up in the church or if you've been around the Christian bubble or like just known a Christian, that you've probably, <laughs> thank you. It's, I'm, I get sweaty sometimes. <laughs> that, uh, it's great. Uh, that John 3.16 is this passage that we all know, we may have, you may have heard before, but it's one that I think I like discounted for a long time because I was like, no, I'm a hip Christian. I'm not gonna just go to John 3.16. Let me tell you about other pieces of scripture. Let's go to Leviticus, right? Uh, and... But, but over the past few years, I've realized how beautiful and wonderful it is. And it's taken on an even new meaning with the birth of my son, born on March 16th, 316. And so every time I read this verse, every time I see my son, I am reminded of the depth of God's love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I know how much I love and adore my son and I know that God loves me and my son and my wife infinitely more than I could ever imagine. And I know that I, I can't even fathom how amazing and incredible the love shared between God the Father and God the Son is. And that he gave Jesus to die for us so that we could have life with him is amazing to me. I don't understand that love. I mentioned how we'd be going back to John chapter 15 earlier and in verse 13, we read greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. Jesus does not love with empty promises. He does not love with vain words. He loves us. He loves you in the most personal and powerful and pure and sacrificial way that ever could exist. He gave his life for us so that we could have life instead. This is love, and that is the love that we are called to abide in. When we look back at John 15, I think it gives us a couple things we can do to truly abide in God's love and to grow in our maturity. First, we will become more mature as we experience more of God's love. Verses 9 to 11, we read, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as if I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus tells us that he has loved us 
with the same love the Father has loved him, and that if we keep his commandments, we abide in his love, and our joy will be full. And this is the part that's really tough and confusing for me sometimes, because when I hear things like keep my commandments, that feels more like a worker accomplishing a task. That doesn't feel like abiding in love. So it's confusing to me. And I think this is the trap that I fall into the most. Because again, when I hear things like keep my commandments, what I really hear is be good enough, do good enough, work hard enough. And this speaks to my need for control, my desire to be enough. I was like, oh, I can do this. If I just, you know, if I work hard enough, if I do these things, I'll be good, right? I will do this and I'll get this. That's not love, that's employment. So what does this mean? Because surely that's not what abiding in love means. But here's the deal. When God asks us to keep commands, he doesn't need us to accomplish a task that he could not in and of himself. There is no longing or need in his soul that we feel that he doesn't in and of himself. God exists in perfection and beauty and love and in power. There is nothing God needs or wants that he could not give to himself. He's God. So why ask us to keep commands? It's because he loves us. And again, this kind of feels backwards to us because commands and love don't feel like the same things. But we have to consider that everything God has done from creation until eternity future is about moving toward us in love and in relationship. In creation, God did not need to create. He was not like, man, I'm just, I'm real bored up here. I hope that like, maybe I can, you know, make some like pets and things like that, right? God didn't need to create, but he had this infinite extensiveness of love that he desired to create, to share his love with something so that we could experience his love in fullness and in power and glorify him because of it. And if that wasn't enough, he could have just created and moved on and said, okay, creation, have fun. Go do and be. But instead, he moved toward creation in relationship. He gave himself in knowledge in relation to us. He revealed himself in fullness to us, saying, I love you so much. Here is who I am, even knowing that we would reject him. Can you imagine that heartbreak? of saying, I love you so much, here is all of me, and someone going, I'm good, I'd rather not. And if that wasn't enough, if God could easily have just said, fine, do what you will, reap your own fruit, take the consequences of your actions, just you know, do whatever you know, you're gonna you know, be destined to, but even in that moment of rejection, he already had the plan to redeem us and to restore us in mind. He knew in that moment that he was going to be redeeming and restoring and he had this plan and it wasn't gonna cost us, it was gonna cost himself. That he was gonna send Jesus, that Jesus himself was gonna come down to earth and live and, and die and raise from the dead so that we could be restored in relationship to God. That is his cost. And if that wasn't enough, He says as he's ascending that he's going to send us the Holy Spirit so that we could have God inside of us, that we could have the fullness of the presence of God living in us in a way that never could have existed before. That when we call out to Jesus saying, I love you, I need you, I want you, that you are my Lord and Savior, that you are the one who lived, died, and rose so that I could have life with you. When we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit in power and in life, and we have access to the fullness of God. And if that was not enough, one day Jesus says he's coming back, he's returning, that he's going to be with us, that all of this pain and hurt and the struggle, the things that we walk through trying to just mature and experience more of him, that one day he's going to take us with him and we're gonna exist in the perfection of God's presence and love forever. That 
is what he has done. Why? Because he loves us. Because he adores us. When God makes commands to us, it is not to accomplish a task. It is not to you just get something done or to make us act a certain way or not. It is because he knows that with every command, that it is a way for us to draw closer to God, to experience more of his love for ourselves and, and to just live in his presence. It is not a coincidence that we are unable to do all of the things that God has commanded us to. You ever tried to like just read through the scriptures and just do it perfectly? How's that worked out? Right? You can't because we were meant to be in relationship with God and that is the only way that we can actually follow God is that we are with him and abiding in him. And it frustrates me so much because I just want to do things on my own, but I know that there is fullness and something greater than what I could experience on my own. It's also not a coincidence that Jesus tells us this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What Jesus is calling us to do, more than accomplishing any task or doing any work, is to experience more of his own love for us, to experience more of Jesus. It is about knowing Christ and his love. And whether that's through personal contemplation in the word and in prayer, whether that's through faithful obedience to what he's calling us to do, and, or whether it's just through allowing the spirit to guide our lives and to be moved by him, we will experience more and more of God, more and more of his love, and we will grow more and more in maturity. We will become more mature as we experience more of God's love. Second, we will become more mature as we practice more of God's love. In verses 12 to 17, we read, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command of you so that you will love one another. So after telling us that Jesus has loved us with the same love shared between him and the Father and that we should abide in him, he then tells us that we are to love one another with the same love that he has loved us. And if you just missed my mini rant a couple minutes ago, just quickly recap, right? How did Jesus love us amongst other things? He literally died for us. And that's a high bar of friendship. Like, if I'm honest, that's probably too high of a bar for most people for me, where I'm like, oh, like maybe Courtney and Judah and my family, and, but like everyone, like... Okay, right? Like, this is the love with which Jesus has loved us and called us to love other people. Just in this passage alone, we could look at all the things Jesus has done. Just in this section, if we were to, like, go through and talk about how Jesus has loved us, first, it says he chose us as friends. And I think sometimes we have this, like, this tendency in church to make things loftier and more spiritual and weightier than they actually are. A friend is someone that you just enjoy being around, that you cherish, that you like, that you adore. And so when Jesus says he chooses us his friends, this is Jesus, Lord of creation, the power by whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, has chose us as friends, that he likes us, he enjoys us, he cherishes us, that he wants to spend time with us. I don't even want to spend time with me sometimes. And Jesus, here's the crazy part, right? So Jesus, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he knows all things, right? That means he knows everything about me and there's nothing that I could do to make him not want to spend time with me, to not enjoy me. 
that, that no matter what we do, that Jesus will always cherish you and want to spend time with you and adore you because he loves you as a friend. Isn't that sweet? That's so good. I love that. Second, he tells us that everything the Father has revealed to him, he has made known to us and restored relationship to the point where we can approach the throne of God with questions, right? That, we can, that Jesus, in his love for us, in his life, death, and resurrection, has made a way for us to be with God. That he could have just left us in confusion and uncertainty, but instead he gave us knowledge and clarity and, and peace that we could know all things we needed to and move toward God in relationship, that we, mere mortals, right, can go before the throne of God in relationship and make requests of him. That's crazy. That's wild. And we just skirt past that sometimes. And third, and most importantly, and I think, again, I don't think I could, like, I don't think I can understate this. He literally gave his life for us, that he died for us, so that we could have life with him. This is the love that he's calling us to not just abide in, but to share with other people. How could we ever do that? We must abide in him. How many of y'all have ever read or seen Les Mis? How many of y'all are like, like musical fans or anything like that? So Les Miserables, uh, as the French say, right? Uh, French for the miserables, I believe. Uh, it's, a, it's a story. Uh, it's, and it got you know, made into a book, got made into a musical, a movie, right? And I've seen a lot of shows and TV and movies, and I read a lot of books. And there's not many that make me openly cry. Maybe that's a growing trend, actually. I might be lying. Courtney knows all the like, stories and stuff that make me cry uh, at this point in my life. But when I finished reading Les Mis, wept broken, ugly, crying tears. <laughs> Jean Valjean, no. Like, so, <laughs> spoiler alert, honestly, for the rest of the story, but like, the story's called La Miserables, so like, I feel like you should know where these, are, these things are going, right? A lot of death. Uh, so the main character, his name's Jean Valjean, and he starts the story on the run as a convict. Uh, after, you know, he's trying to avoid being thrown back in prison, and he experiences grace for the first time when a priest shows him the love of God. And after that moment, his life is forever changed. That he is now defined by God's love and not just his sinful history. Sometime after this, he meets uh, this recently orphaned girl named Cosette. And he decides to take her in as his adopted daughter to care for her and show her love. Because, and this is the first time that he has ever had the opportunity to display the love that he received. And so it's this really sweet moment. And in the, in the musical, he sings a song about how he didn't even know how much hope and love existed until he started caring for Cosette as his daughter. And again, major spoiler alert here. But again, the, you know, it's like several hundred years old, so I feel like it's on you at this point. It's like, what happens to Jesus at the end of the Bible, right? Like, you should know, right? So as Jean Valjean is laying on his deathbed. Cosette and her husband rush in in time, just in time to speak with him before he passes. And he tells her of his past life of sin and, and how he only learned the full extent of love by caring for Cosette, by showing her love. And that allowed him to experience love. And the last words sung in the play before the echoing of the chorus are sung by Cosette's mother as she is leading him into death. And she says, take my hand, I'll lead you to salvation. Just, just pretend I'm Anne Hathaway and this, it'll go a lot better for all of us, right? Take my love for love is everlasting and remember the truth that once was spoken. Everybody, to love another person is to see the face of God. Dude, don't clap for this. Y'all are, y'all are, y'all are too easy to entertain. Y'all need to have high, higher standards, higher standards for entertainment, right? Uh, Jean Valjean, 
so filled with the love of God that the only way that he can experience it in truth and in fullness is by giving this love to another person, by sharing it with his adopted daughter. And in the same way, when we are, when we experience the love of God, when we abide in it, when we're completely surrounded by it and filled by the love of God, we can't help but share that love with other people. Not because we're capable of it, but because God has filled us with that love and we just have to give it to someone else. And the beautiful part of this is when we share that love that we have experienced, we actually experience more of God's love. And then we want to share that love with other people. And then we experience more. And so we share, right? It's this beautiful circle that builds on itself. We will become more mature as we practice more of God's love. And in this discussion of maturity, of growth, we've been talking a lot about these ideas of like, how do we mature now? What does now look like? But in maturity, there's this concept, not just of maturing, but of maturity, of reaching it, of this sense of completion, of perfection. And that's what I want to address now. I want to return once more to our original passage In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul tells us, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It gives us the image of seeing something in part as if through a dim mirror. And that's what our experience with God is right now. Imagine not the mirrors that we have today, but like back then it's just a piece of like polished bronze or of a similar metal where if like you were to look into it, you could see a reflection, but it wasn't going to be great, right? If you were trying to, you could get some truth, some clarity, but it won't be full or complete. And Paul tells us, that our experiences with God right now are like looking through a dim mirror. Can you imagine that? If you have felt and experienced the love and the power and the presence of God here right now and you've been moved because you know how powerful he is, that's just a glimpse of who he is and what is to come. That's crazy. The infinite nature of his love and his presence and his power will be overwhelming. Paul tells us that one day our maturity will be complete because we will behold God face to face, not just in a dim mirror. That as he has always known us fully and loved us fully, that one day we will know God fully and love him fully, that we will be in the complete and perfect presence of God and be enraptured by it and how beautiful his love for us is. There will be no more need for growth and maturity for we will be living in perfection with God and his love. We will be perfected in God's love. What I want to do now, and again, a little bit of a curveball, but every time I, you know, preach for y'all, I kind of want to keep you on your toes, make sure that everyone's actually paying attention, uh, is I want to invite a couple of our student leaders up on stage. Y'all can come on up. Um, and I want to have them share a little bit of their heart for how God has revealed himself and love to them and how they have seen that same love play out in their own lives. And so this is Zachary Lobauer and Levi Maxwell. They're a couple of our volunteer student leaders. They're both with the high school guys. Uh, and as they get situated, some of the reasons that I wanted to bring them up on stage is one, I think it's important that you hear not just from me or our other staff members, but that you hear from our volunteers, the people who uh, are doing the ministry and, and, and are experiencing these things around the church. And then two is that both of these guys have had really powerful experiences with God in their own lives and have done an amazing job of displaying God's love to others, particularly those in the students' ministry and just had some really powerful experiences at our camp a couple weekends ago. So uh, guys, how are y'all doing? I'll just, y'all can, I, should, I think it should be on, but like. Hello. Yeah, it's okay. working. Great. Uh, so if y'all want to introduce yourselves real quick, uh, I know I you know, said your names, but. Yeah. Uh, I'm Levi. <laughs> Say it with me. Hi, Levi. Hi, Levi. 
This is very students' ministry. Yeah, I do that with all my uh, high school guys, but I'm Zach. I'm with uh, the... Hi, Zach. Yeah, y'all caught on. So how we're going to do this is I have a couple questions for them, and we're just, I just want to hear their heart on things, and they'll pass the mic between each other. But guys, for right now, I would just love to know, how have y'all experienced God's love in your own lives, just personally? I don't care who starts. Y'all can rock, paper, scissors for it. Y'all can... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I kind of, I, I equate my story of, God's love as the George Strait song, I Saw God Today. Um, as for, do we all. For those who love 90s country, that's a really good song. Uh, but I kind of equate it to that because uh, he came and saved me when I was in one of my deepest periods in my life. And from then on, it's just kind of been, hey, that flower is beautiful. Man, thank you, God. Or, hey, that person has loved on me. That has to come from somewhere, right? And uh, so I think of it as God. And I've seen that a lot lately in my life, Um, especially like I had a whole community just helping me move yesterday. Uh, And it was just because they asked and I was like, I would love help. And then they showed up. So, um, but I see him in, in like everyday walks. Uh, I see him in students ministry all the time. Um, Honestly, with Kel, it's, it's been a, it's been great having him here. I paid you well enough. This is good. (laughs) He does not pay me, so don't think that. <laughs> like I said, enough. Uh. <laughs> wink, wink. No, uh, no. I, I do see it in, in how Kel preaches, but uh, also just with the way that student ministry goes, um, you just get so much out of it, and I see God in all of it. Uh, the growth I've seen in my guys alone has filled my cup. Like, I don't need someone else pouring in just because of the growth I see out of them. Um, but, yeah. Um, I think for me... Um, my, my story is, uh, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I, I grew up in, in Nassau, Bahamas, and, um, at, at a very young age, I, you know, I lost my mommy, you know, so I had to kind of figure things out on my own, um, and then coming to the States and trying to figure that out and just a, a lot of moving around. Um, and it just felt like, you know, as a kid, felt like unwanted, Yeah. you know, felt, you know, not, not really loved because like the person who who loved me was gone now. Um, I didn't have a daddy to, uh, to, 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 to look for or whatever, but um, it wasn't until like, you know, kind of fast forward and I got older, I, I, I moved in with my uncle and my aunt. I, I grew up in a Christian household and um, after high school, I, I joined the Navy and I was like, oh, you know, I want to kind of just do things on my own. You know, I want to get away from what I grew up knowing um, but that just felt so empty, you know, I felt so lost. Um, and I always like wondered like, why, why me? Like this kid who grew up in a very poverty stricken area in Nassau, Bahamas, um, like why, why am I here like telling this story today? And as I got mature in, 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 my, in my faith, um, as I built a relationship, because I, I was labeled as a Christian, and everybody knew I was a Christian, but I never had a relationship with Jesus, you know what I'm saying? So um, it wasn't until I, I gained this relationship to where I finally realized, like, it's love, you know, because God loved me, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's because he, from, from the get-go, you know what I'm saying? Even whenever I was lost and my mommy was on her deathbed, you know, he knew, he knew what he was doing, and so... Um, yeah, that's, that's, fine. that's awesome. Um, I'd love to know, and this is, you know, final question for y'all, but I'd love to know, and, and it's something that's sweet for me as a student pastor that I get to see God working in really special and beautiful ways through the lives of our leaders and through students, because as much as I can plan and control things, it's, it's guys like these and our other leaders and, and our students who are the ones who actually make ministry happen. And so would love to know from y'all, how have y'all now experienced God's love, not just from him showing himself to y'all, but through using you guys to display love to other people and in doing so, you know, experiencing God's love even more for yourselves? Um, yeah, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak kind of, on the student ministry, but I've, I've been a part of like just youth yeah. for like over 10 years now. Um, just kind of like after I got military, um, working at camps, you know, I, I was a youth pastor in New Braunfels for like three and a half years. And, 
And that, that really is where um, I felt that I needed to show the most love because it, it reminded me of how I grew up, like working in a very poverty-stricken area in New Braunfels where you got these kids, they don't have much, especially during the summertime, they have kids, or they have their parents, you know, go in uh, to work and so they're stuck outside all day, they haven't eaten all day and so man, I was like, oh man, that's, that's my story, like that's how I grew up. And um, I, I wanted to pour into those to those kids. I wanted to show the love that God like showed me um, growing up. Uh, I wanted to give back, and even like you know today, like the my my ninth grade boys, like just pouring into them and um, doing everything I can to just display that they're loved, regardless of what the world might throw their way. Like I want them to know that I I love you guys. Like and not just ninth grade, all of you guys. Like I love. I love Just all you guys. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think my guys have heard this a thousand times, and they can attest to it. Uh, I tell them I love them like all the time. I think they might be sick of it at this point, um, but I want them to always know, kind of like Levi, that there is somebody always in their corner. And uh, going to camp two weeks ago, I guess at this point, something like that. Um, <laughs> You know, time flies, right? When you're having a what good time. What is time? time? Uh, it's all relative, right? Anyways, uh, this is like Kel's and my natural reactions to each other, but uh, just getting to go there and be with them and just getting to, to pour into them even more and what we saw happen on the second night of camp yeah. was just so, like, amazing. I mean, we were literally in the room together with the high school guys just crying, like, it was amazing, and if you guys don't think that men cry, we cry. Yeah, and it manly was, tears. It was, like, amazing because Kel was writing on the wall before his sermon, and then he gave it, and it was just so powerful. And, and then we went to the, the room, and we just had confessions of just, like, giving their lives to Christ and, like, talking about that. And I just felt so much love for them, but just like the love in general of, of what that means. I mean, I mean I, I've told them time and time again that if they ever come up to me and talk to me that they gave their life to, to Jesus, I'm gonna walk out of the room, I'm gonna ball my eyes out for like two solid minutes and I'm gonna go back in and I'm gonna have a great conversation with them because like that's the amount of love I have. When I was asked to join as a student uh, leader a couple, I mean, I guess a year ago at this point, uh, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. We'd heard kind of Brandon's whole like one up, one down uh, sermons and listen to your heart, you know, where are you struggling with God? And it came out and, and this was the opportunity. And since then it's just multiplied and I found my one down. And it's been amazing to just see that, that growth and that love. And I don't think that there's a better example of it other than a father to a son, a mother to a daughter or any kid um, or just God to us in general. I mean, that love is just, it pours out. Yeah, that's awesome. Guys, give them a hand. That's awesome. Thank y'all so much. Zach, Levi, y'all are the best. I love y'all guys. Y'all are awesome. Um, it's so sweet. And obviously, you know, zero shameless plugs uh, for a student's ministry. Uh, come serve. Uh, as we close, um, we as a church want to take a moment um, before we head into worship to practically partake in Jesus's love for us here and now. Uh, and so uh, students, if y'all wanna head to the back, if y'all aren't already ready, um, one of the sacraments that Jesus commands is uh, his church to practice is that of the Lord's Supper. So if you didn't pick one up on the way in, we're gonna have some students with baskets. We're gonna walk through the aisles real quick uh, and uh, they'll, they'll be able to kind of hand those out to y'all. Uh, we've got some people coming through the aisles and everything. Um, but as they're walking, as y'all are getting the elements, on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, knowing that he was heading to the cross and knowing that he was about to put the fullness of his love on display with his death and resurrection, he sat with his disciples for a final Passover meal where he broke bread and drank wine. When he did so, he explained that the bread that he broke represented his body that he was about to break on their behalf. And 
that the wine represented his blood that he was about to spill for them. When we as a people take these elements, we aren't simply eating a snack or making an, like a, a meaningless gesture, but instead, hey, Jaylee, can I get one? Thank you. I actually didn't grab one either, uh, which is tough. Uh, we're, what we're doing is we are declaring that Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, that his death applies to us, that the salvation that he provided, that we believe that is for us, that his death and resurrection are ours. And if you believe that, if this is true for you, take these elements in a declaration of worship as a way to truly abide in the love of God. And if this is not true for you, if this is something that you're unsure about, I'd encourage you to, to withhold. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. But if this, is, if this love of God, this salvation from him is something that you desire, talk to someone, find someone, find a staff member, a volunteer, the people sitting around you, talk to them. We'd love to just walk through what this means. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Take and drink.